Great. Let's take a few minutes and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for music. Uh, it, it moves the soul. It frees up the heart. It moves our motivations. It encourages our emotions. It is powerful. Thank you for music. And this morning, I pray you be the great teacher for whatever is going to be shared. I pray you speak into my heart and uh, open my eyes to even more than what you had this week. It's been fun. And so I pray this morning's message will be really, really neat. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are we good? Good. Um, I got a slight ring, Noah. I don't know if you can hear it. It's kind of a bass ring. I don't know if anybody else can. If I'm the only one who hears it, who cares? Anybody else hear it? Good. Okay. All the hearing aid people are going, no, everybody's fine. So, okay. <laughs> it's true. All right. This morning, I want to get into uh, uh, a cool thing. Watch this. Are you a prodigal? That's my question. And it'll probably last two weeks because then we get into Christmas cool stuff and good news things. Are you a prodigal? Um, growing up in a religious traditional church with uh, great legalism and still based in the love of God, I, I still heard the love of God. I didn't understand it and it wasn't modeled very well, but I've still told it. The Holy Spirit's bigger than your denomination, bigger than your upbringing, bigger than the negativity in your life, bigger than the legalism you're exposed to. He's bigger than all that, so no excuses. Do you hear that? Nobody's got an excuse to say, I didn't hear good enough news. You have all got the life of Christ running through your veins. You've got the light of Christ shining through you, and it's that light in you as we just talked about for four weeks, that's the voice that confirms good news. So even in a legalistic setting, you will hear something that's sort of good, even in the middle of what could be bad. That's God saying, ha, my light shines through that message as well. Uh, I know people that are in, in different churches, they have different denominations, so what? That does not stop us from learning. Well, Jesus is having an issue here in this story. Um, and by the way, back up to the church I grew up in. I, uh, the people I knew uh, that were prodigals were all those who, who drank too much, who smoked, uh, who uh, went to movies on Sunday night, who were late for church. Um, all, all, the list was pretty good. Uh, although we were Germans, so we were allowed to drink, you just could drink too much. You know, that's, the Pentecostals you couldn't do either, so it was even more boring. So anyway, that was kind of how that worked. Um, but the whole idea of a prodigal, this, this is like one of the most remembered parables of Christ. Almost everybody knows, because I promise you, nobody uses the word prodigal in their regular day-to-day -day words, do they? Do you use the word prodigal often? No, of course not. It's a term that was put in, by the way, it's not even in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. The word prodigal doesn't exist. That's put in there by man as a subtitle for what that section could be called. The prodigal son. Did you know that? Yeah, it's not in, it's not in part of the original language. It's, it's just not there. The story is still true. The story is still the parable of what Jesus is trying to convey. That has been disputed for a long, long time. But what we forget, it's preempted by two other stories. And I want to lay a foundation for you on what this is. Because every time I think of prodigal, 
I think of every time that I was bad and the church saw me as, as you know, I've fallen away from God, I'm down the slippery slope, or uh, I've backslidden. How many have heard that term? Yeah, uh, like that would mean I'm a prodigal and I need to come back. So this term is something I was familiar with as being a bad boy. But I wasn't a bad boy, I was just misunderstood, just like most of us. It's just true, it's very true. So this prodigal idea, who's Jesus talking to? It doesn't tell us in the actual uh, parable part, but it does tell us at the beginning of the chapter. So we're going to open up your Bibles, if you've got one, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You want to talk about Jesus getting into it with people? Oh my goodness, this is so cool. You want to get a picture of who God is? And remember, we have talked about Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are one, remember? That's the foundation for reading all of this stuff. So here's chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to, Jesus, to listen to Jesus teach. Right there, that should throw you off. Because I don't see any tax collectors and notorious sinners coming to hear anybody preach. <laughs> Unless you're all hiding stuff. <laughs> right? Like, this tells you something of the character of the man, Jesus. Who was it who, who were kind of drawn to him, tractor-beamed into to hearing his voice and his stories? It was people you wouldn't have thought. Tax collectors, notorious sinners. By the way, the word sinners here, and as it says, and it talks about the word sinners, it comes from the same word that means miss the mark. It's just miss the mark. Pattern of behavior. Not believing something. It's pretty cool. So here's people not believing something. And they're coming because they're going to end up believing because of the grace displayed through the character of Jesus and his love that is shown. Jesus is the purpose of this book. It's not designed to be a thumping tool. Bible thumper. It's not designed to smack people to correct them. This book is a gift of grace to reveal the Father. It begins with an understanding of how mankind has seen God, and then as it goes through, it corrects it right up until the time of Christ and then fully reveals the real picture of who God the Father is. It's progressive all the way through. It's a beautiful journey. How many of you are growing progressively? One step at a time, more knowledge adding on to that, and so on. Yes. Same thing here. All right? It's beautiful. Okay, here we go. You can only imagine what's about to happen. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. Like, seriously, how could God do that? Eat with that kind of vermin? Like, you... Okay. The church I grew up in, I'm just, i got to pick on it because it's just so blatant. And I'm sure it's pretty traditional. But I've heard people say, we don't want them kind of people here. We don't want those kind of people here. We can't give them a right to vote. They'll change everything. No, we don't want, we got, you come to our church, get changed, and become like us. 
That's what we call becoming part of the community. That's what the religious circle says. It doesn't say come really as you are. If they say it, they don't always mean it. All right? They'll say it in speech, but inside they're, you better change. Well, here we have a beautiful thing happening. Jesus ticks off the Pharisees and religious teachers, which is a common theme through everything he does. In fact, if you read through the Gospels like a rapid machine, really fast, like a book, not study every verse and you know, look up the Greek, none of that. Read it like a book. You're going to see the pattern of Jesus ticking them off over and over. He's agitating like, he's getting under their skin. <laughs> this is the Son of God getting under their skin. I got all these songs from the 80s come through my head now. But anyway, I'll leave those alone. <laughs> I'll get in trouble for that. He gets under their skin. They're mad because he's associating with them. And I remember people growing up that would welcome the new guests that were in church, no matter if they were like the group that's there or a different kind of culture or lifestyle, dressed differently, you know. Uh, there were loving people in my church growing up who reached out to anybody. I saw the love of Christ in a legalistic church. It was there. That's pretty cool. You've got to remember that. So ease off on the judging of people and observe the patterns that are unacceptable instead. Say, that pattern is wrong. And Jesus is addressing some key things here. So Jesus used this illustration because he's getting blamed for eating with them. Here's what he says. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others and go search for the lost one until you found it? Would that not make sense? Yes. I think so too. You go chase it. One's gone. Although, if some people are really honest, they'll go, eh, 99 out of 100 ain't bad. <laughs> it's pretty good. Even 85% is pretty good. 51's a pass. <laughs> like, the mentality of people. Anyway, Jesus is saying, if one is missing, wouldn't you go after it? Okay. And then you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. When you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven will be happier over the one lost sinner, interesting, who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This text confused me a long time ago because it makes it sound like the 99 are not valued in a way, right? Do you hear that? It's like, hang on here, what the heck? After all I've done for you, after all these years of serving you faithfully. Oh, I'm jumping ahead to the next parable. Ooh, did you catch that? <laughs> I want to highlight something in this. A man has a hundred sheep and loses one. Just one. I want you to realize and remember all 100 are his. All 100 are his. And the reason he rejoices is because one is lost and then found repatriated. <laughs> 
remembered. Dismembering, remembering, brought back. Overjoyed. How many have ever lost a kid in a mall or in a water theme park? <clears throat> Anybody? Anybody lose a kid somewhere? Yeah. You're freaking out! Oh, man! I remember we lost Simon. He wasn't lost. He knew exactly where he was. But we lost Simon. And we were like 10 minutes away from calling the police in. I, Lori was probably more calm than I was. And it, I may have showed that I wasn't as worried, but inside I am freaking out because we're close to the U.S. border. Somebody could have taken my kid. Every freaking fear runs through my head. Oh, no. What's he wearing? A bathing suit. I don't have a clue. I'm not his mother. I can't remember that stuff. You know? <laughs> it was, and there's one, one staff at this water park that was really annoying. And uh, it's like this eager beaver, over-enthused kid. I wouldn't hire him. He found my kid. Okay, I'm humbled. There are lessons all through life, okay? But I rejoiced. I was thrilled that I found him. We were all kind of scared, really. You know, they had different segments. They locked the hotel down. Like, everything was shut down. Like, that, that's how serious it got. And we were just not too far away. So to rejoice when one comes back doesn't mean the other ones aren't valued. It just means, ah, back. Relief, joy. Does that story now make a little more sense? Don't discount the fact you're in. Okay? You still belong. That's the point. Then he tells another story. Or suppose a woman has ten valuable silver coins and loses one. Won't she light the lamp? Look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? Of course she will. It doesn't say that, but she will. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. Repents. <sighs> repentance. What is repentance? Anybody know what repentance means? We've talked about this, people. Changing your mind, which usually leads to action change. But it's changing of the mind. Repents. And they start to believe what is actually true. Come to a right thinking, which turns into right behavior. That's how it works. The system of church I grew up in, and most of us have, it was behavior modification theology. You tell them, here's what you have to do to get better. Here's how the, the don't list and the do list. Follow that, and then God will show you in your mind. It is so backwards. It's the other way. Show the foundation of who God is and how good he is, and watch as they really believe it. And again, this way is a lot slower sometimes. It's just true. <laughs> and then behaviors will change. That works. 
the super, super strict people have a hard time because their kids will rebel because they've been so locked up and suddenly, wah, free! How do you handle freedom? Go wild. Go wild, that's right. Yeah, it's scary. She has a party. Ten coins. It says valuable silver coins. Does anybody... Ha- no, I better not do that here. Um, uh, let's suppose... I'm sure there's a couple people here who have valuable coins, collector items, stamps, all that kind of like, things that are cards even, like sports cards that are Lego, like millions of dollars of Lego, you know, in certain people's basements. You know, you have these valuable things. They have value. That's what's happening in this short parable of the coin. Uh, I know my mom had this uh, silver, like it was a bracelet, but had these round, ten round things. It just had the parable embedded all the way through it. I'll never forget that because uh, it, it got lost once. It fell down and it's the story of a lost coin, mom. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But here's something to remember as well. In the same way, whose coin was it? The woman's. Otherwise, it would not be lost. In order for something to be lost, it must have an owner. Da-da. Is that simple? You guys get it? 101? Okay. Good. Oh, it was a silver, high-valuable coin. Since it was lost, did anything happen to its value. No. Huh. Do you know how many lost people are in this world? A lot. And they're each valuable. They never lose their value, but if they don't believe they're valuable, they're going to act like they're unvaluable and give themselves over to things that are devaluing. But their true value never changes. This will change how you see people. Everybody. Jesus came to what? Seek and save the and heal the sick and brokenhearted and give sight to the yes, the blind. (laughs) Just because I can't see doesn't mean the stand isn't here. Stand is there, even though I don't see it for a moment. Blind, but open my eyes. It's there. Okay, that, the, the fact, the objective truth does not change. Everybody's valuable. Everybody is loved. I had the coolest thing happen to me this week. I know it's going to sound weird, but I did a funeral. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I know it sounds crazy. Some, <laughs> if I did a funeral for your family, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, I loved helping. This particular one was unique in that most of the people were from that old church. (laughs) And I was asked to share the gospel. I was excited. I was looking forward to this funeral, like a 91-year-old. And the cool part is she was was super nice. And her husband, super nice. Great history. But I was able to share the child, young man, father story that as a child, this is what I believe. And young man, I I wrestled with stuff and then I grew up and and now I'm still continuing to learn. And I bridged it to this church I grew up in taught me some key foundations. I saw the love of God in people. 
but I didn't know who the Father was. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't really know the Father. And then I began to share my oneness and union with Christ. I didn't do an altar call or anything like that. Don't need to. Do you know what I asked them to believe? Believe what God says about you now. That's my plea to you. We laughed a lot, and it was, it was, it was good. I don't usually get to talk like that in funeral services. I'm there to serve the family, but when they asked me to, <laughs> it was just so cool to be able to speak truth back into a system where some of them actually have grown and have, have resonated with this truth as well. Like we do all grow up. Some of it was kind of new to them. I could see it and go, what? <laughs> lost coins. They, they thought I was lost. I was little Zenker. <laughs> and now I'm doing this service for them. So funny. So funny. Yeah. Grace goes farther than you think. A lost sheep has an owner. All 100 are owned by the shepherd. All 100 have value. All 10 valuable silver coins don't diminish in value if one gets lost. It has an owner. Now remember the audience. Who's the audience here? Do you guys remember? Pharisees. Bad guys, sure. But the Pharisees would have said the other guys were the bad guys. Right? Them varmin. Like... But Jesus goes on. He has the story of the lost son. I want to read it to you from another translation called the Passion Bible. Good. I'm only going to give you this part and then I'll read the rest from here just so you can kind of see what the style of writing is. But this parable of the lost son, of the prodigal son, what's the title of this one? How does this... <laughs> This is not called the prodigal son in this Bible. Something has happened. Somebody sees something differently. And my hope is that you will see something very different about this story. Something you may not have seen before. You might be catching a bit of an inkling into this. Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among his, the two sons, their two sons, sorry, among the two sons their inheritance. By the way, especially in Jewish culture, it is an absolute insult to do anything even close to this. Like maybe ask for a loan, but to ask for your inheritance? Really? You're off your rocker. And you're basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's, that's in, in essence, what can be understood. So there's a lot of innuendos going on here. Or you just be a greedy kid, right? Just not thinking. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all of his belongings, traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. We all know this part, right? Okay. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. For there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. Okay, another thing. Jews, pig, bad. Okay, those two do not go together. 
It's like clean, unclean. No, you just don't lower yourself no matter what to that level. But he did in the story that Jesus is trying to illustrate. The son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, hmm, there are many workers at my father's house, father's house who all have the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying for hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees, servants. So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. This is amazing. I love this part. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. This is the only story I know or hear of where God ran towards you. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him all over with tender love. Remember, he's been traveling. He's sweaty, gross, and stinky. All right? We might say, yeah, shower first. Right? That's our culture. That's what we do. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted him and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, I love this. The the father said, Quick, bring the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship and I will put it on his finger. Oh, do you get it? You're hearing that? Holy smokes, is good. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate, for this beloved son of mine once was dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. <laughs> can you imagine the party? Can you, can you feel the love of the Father there? Can you, can you kind of almost f- physically feel it? Go, whoa, yeah, I can, I can imagine that happening. That's absolutely amazing. Remember, he says, beloved son of mine, he never ceased being a son. And then he says, who once was dead? Wait a minute. How can a dead man walk? Right? Okay, think about this term, dead in their mind. So the idea in Scripture where where we die, Adam and Eve died in their sin, in their mind. I was told it was their spirits that died, but there's no biblical evidence for that. But I never looked that up before. I never had to because I never questioned that. Now when I question it, I go, wait a minute, how can their spirit die? That's impossible. You once were dead, but now is alive again. He was lost and now found. 
Verse 25. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what is going on? Obviously, this must not be a normal thing. Right? Yes. There's a lot of little innuendos here you never thought about. That makes sense. Connect the dots. Oh, I never thought of that before. The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's thrown a party to celebrate his homecoming. Seriously? The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father comes out. Do you hear it? Who's pursuing who? Father always pursues you. Father is always having a direction towards you. No matter what direction you're facing, he is always towards you. Non-negotiable. After all, this is called the loving father. Do you get it now? The son said, Father, listen. How many years have I worked like a slave for you? Performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son. And I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Are you starting to hear some of the religion in this? This is amazing. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. What's with that? This is not fair. That's what he's saying. Oh, let me have a little extra verse. God's not fair. Let that sink in for a minute. God is not fair. Fair has to do with comparison and judging. Fair is about comparing yourself with somebody else. The father said, My son, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. (laughs) It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours, speaking back to this son of yours, remember he was kind of cutting himself off from it, says this brother of yours, reminding him of the connection, was once dead and gone, but he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. What a story. How much can you get out of this? I forget what I have up here, but we're going to... Oh, yeah, prodigal. 
I'm going to use the word prodigal. Do you know what it actually means? Spending money or resources freely, recklessly, wasteful, extravagant. This is what it is. This is the primary idea of it. Wasteful, extravagant, prodigal habits, die hard. Having or giving something on a lavish scale. Dessert was crunchy with brown sugar and prodigal with whipped cream. That's a better illustration, right? Prodigal. I want to bring something to your attention that you may have never thought of, because I never thought of this until, I hate to say it, this morning. Hit me this morning. I wonder if you see it already. What do you see, Dan? Boom, baby! I always thought the son who took off was nothing like his dad. What if he was far more like his father than we give him credit for? We're not talking about the going out and doing all the bad stuff stuff, but the attitude of lavishness, reckless generosity, which is grace. We should almost call this the prodigal God. (laughs) So what happened? Where did the switch happen? See, most people would admire the older brother for the hard work, the loyalty. Be like the older brother. Why can't you be like your brother? Right? How many parents have said that to their kids? Why can't you be like so-and-so? Stop doing that. So Don't ever say that. You might be frustrated, but don't let it out of your mouth because it sticks with the kids. The roles reversed when the brother came back. You see, when the brother left, when the prodigal was out, The older brother was in. Us versus them. Are you starting to get the picture of Christ seeing others? Okay. With the prodigal son in, the older brother is now out. The world's reversed. As soon as the prodigal came home, now the in brother's out. That's not fair. But that's what's happening in the story. Therefore... The older son compared and judged. He compared his worthiness to the prodigal's unworthiness. Judging. Do you see it? You all see it. I know you do. The older brother is actually nothing like his father. They're both types of prodigals in the sense of uh, lost, not believing the right thing. That sense, okay? Both had the same problem. One took off, the other stayed, but they were both blind to the fact of what the father said to the son who stayed home. He said, all I have is yours. When he said those words, do you know what it means? Don't you know your identity? Do you not know who you are? You're my son. Period. All the stuff you do, big deal. I love that translation, how it said, you never rewarded me for my faithfulness. Whose faithfulness? In your life? Really? Whose faithfulness? Christ's faithfulness to you. Not your faithfulness for him. Because if that's the route... Any faith you have has been given to you as a gift. Any faith given back to God is a joyous, reciprocating channel that's ever-flowing and is love and never selfish, ever. Never self-seeking. <laughs> we can get into that First Corinthians one later. Not today. 
This older son, he was slaving away rather than spending time on having a relationship with his father. This is a lesson for us. He was estranged to his father. How? He never adopted the father's values or he would have rejoiced when his brother came home. Instead, he was a finger-wagger, eye-rolling, Bible-taughten older brother. It's like people... Okay, I'm going to pick out the church I grew up in. So when people came back to the Lord, whatever that means, when they woke back up and saw grace or whatever, you know, suddenly people go, okay, you're good. And they stop bugging them. But even in that place, you can become judgmental to all those who you think are not walking after God. We cannot do that. You don't get to judge who's a prodigal, who's backslidden. You don't get to judge any of that. You don't get to judge anybody after the flesh. You get to see them after who they really are, owned by God. That's your core identity. Start telling people about that. He did not serve and obey his father out of love, this is a big one, but out of what he stood to gain. Wow. He kept a meticulous record of what he has been doing for his father, a running list. Let me pull up the list. Father, this is what I've done, and you cannot give me anything in return. You heard that. He tried to reduce the father-son relationship to a system of rewards in exchanges for services rendered. By the way, this, this list I'm giving you comes from a man named Lon Ray in Saskatoon. Uh, he did a really neat write-up on this, so I'm, I'm using his uh, context here for some of this, just to give him credit. Great guy. Older son. Consequently, his attitude put him on the level of an employee rather than a son. He was never acting as a son. He was acting in the employee role, servant role. He cited his own goodness just as the Pharisees trusted their own righteousness. <laughs> Self-righteousness. Self-seeking, self-righteous. And this is the attitude Jesus is rebuking in this story. He's calling them out. You're judging these people who are tax collectors and, and whatever the partiers that you're looking down your snooty nose at? If anything, maybe they're lost. But I'm going after them and you should know better. You're still mine, but you should know better. There are many Christians who are working for God, but with a wrong motive. They truly love God, but they are estranged to His teachings, His values, hence becoming strangers to Him. They are nothing like their Father. Ouch! I want to be more and more like my Father. I want generosity to come out of me. I want love, lack of judgment. I want that stuff to fade away as he melts me with his love. Look at the father's response. He deals with the relationship right away. The son lives in grace, enjoying full access to everything the father owns. He said, son, it's all yours. What are you talking about? The older son could have slaughtered a calf and celebrated with his friends anytime he wanted to. He owned the whole herd. It's not for lack of, of need. It was all his. And God is not looking for workers. He's looking for sons and daughters. He wants a relationship. Then the father deals with values. He demonstrated that the, he valued the son's life more than the possessions. Whew. Not taking into account the fortune that was squandered. The older brother could not see past the fortune that was wasted long enough 
to celebrate his brother's return. Wow. Are you after people's hearts? Are you after what you can get from them in life? Is your relationship with certain people manipulative? As long as you stay right, you keep getting what you get. Or can you love authentically without judging? Where does the father end up in this story? There's a party going on. Where's the father at the end of this story? And I think it's significant. Out. Outside. One translation says darkness. And that's where the father's with them. Because God is not absent. (laughs) He'll go down any road to chase you down. His forgiveness covers everything. And when you start to believe it, everything begins to change from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God's word translation. In other words, God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them. And he has given us this message of restored relationships to tell others. This is the gospel. So if God's using Jesus, and Jesus is telling us the story, are you pulling out of the story what I just caught? I hope so. There's a lot here. It's, it is good news. From beyond an angry God. It's no wonder the older brother, the prodigal son, storms out of the house, irked and sulky. We can talk about how self-righteous Sorry, we can talk how self-righteous he was all we want. And technically, we wouldn't be wrong about it. But let's be honest, anybody with the slightest sense of fairness would have felt the same way. That is true, right? Yes, I would I'd be ticked in my humanity as well. I've, listen, I've been to enough funerals and I've sat through enough family crap from everybody going through when they want the money. It's, it's nuts. It's all there. Anybody with the slightest sense of fairness would have felt the same way. Some things just aren't fair. That's the point. Fairness suffocates to death for lack of oxygen in the grace-saturated environment of unconditional love. Fair? The father might have asked, are you nuts? This is my son, and he has come home. that good? Robert Keepen. Grace is the celebration of life relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants in the world. (laughs) I love that. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging sweetness of its cassations to every window, pounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening until the prodigals come out at last and dance. And the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. Grace continues to grow. Almost done. Brendan Manning writes, My message, unchanging for more than 50 years, is this. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. Further, he writes, my life is a witness to grace that amazes as it offends. 
a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day the same wage as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 to 5? A grace like that hikes up the robe and runs, break-necked towards the prodigal, reeking of sin, and wraps him up, decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request, please remember me, and he assures him, you bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father, fleshed out in the carpenter Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who left his Father's side, not for heaven's sake, but for our sakes, your sakes and mine. His grace is the indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap. It's free! And as such, will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all of our might to try and find something or someone it cannot cover. <laughs> Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Yes. Man, it's good. Oh, I've been waiting a long time to share on this. That was fun. I hope you saw it. Are you a prodigal? Well, maybe we have to redefine it. <laughs> you can pull some of the good characteristics out of the actual definition of the word. You really can. But you are a child of God. You are loved. You are valuable. And if you get lost, he seeks you because guess what? If you're lost, you have an owner. <laughs> oh, I love this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to reveal to us how amazing you are. And we're just getting started. Just getting started. Be the one who reveals your love to us and begin to melt away that selfishness stuff that isn't the real us anyway, that flesh stuff, the patterns of behavior that do not reflect your true life in us. Will you please begin to melt that away ever so gently, please? I always ask you to be gentle. You know that. And you are gentle. Thank you that you are a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.